Welcome to Indefinable Magic, a series of monologues, musings, and memories inspired by a long-running series about a time-traveling police box. Written and performed by me, Toby Haydock. This week's episode, Scouring the Shelves. We didn't have a news agent, really. Not one you could pass through to steal a look at the latest Doctor Who magazine. Now, this is not, oh, we had outside toilets, or, oh, we had to bathe in tepid potato water in front of a log fire, which Dad would occasionally throw one of us onto, or, we didn't have butter, we had to scrape a passing man. But the things we didn't have were a fact of life. And we didn't have a newsagent's that I could nip into. In fact, the nearest shop of any kind was about three miles away. I know, I sound so civilised, and yet I was etched into the harsh granite of the English countryside. Now, I consider myself a huge Doctor Who fan. As a youth, I would grab onto whatever I could that had a picture of a TARDIS on it, and no day went by without me thinking about the Doctor and the Daleks and Canine or reading a Target novel. But other than what was in the house, I didn't have access to it, to any of it. Even if Doctor Who magazine could be delivered, and I'm not sure it could, I was no subscriber, couldn't afford it. Again, I know it doesn't sound like it, we didn't really have any money, certainly not any spare money. I know it really was the time of outside toilets and eating dogs. I mean, it wasn't. But there wasn't much cash to go around on anything bar essentials or things of educational value. And my love for Doctor Who, whilst indulged, certainly wasn't going to be of much use to me as an adult. Hey, Mum, this is Toby from 2020. Time travel's a bitch, isn't it? But no, I knew there was a Doctor Who magazine but it was a frippery of excess, and there's no way I'd get hold of it unless it was under very special circumstances. So, I'd read issues in newsagents when the opportunity arose, but that in itself was a luxury. Not like some of you lot on your way to school for whom a quick sojourn in the land of penny sweets and dad's paper was a normal stop-off. Newsagents were for when I visited my nan or went on holiday, I mean, we had to walk a quarter of a mile to the main road to get the local paper, which was flung there out of a passing van. It was a kind of drive-by news drop. You know, you could find out what was going on in the world by a quick chat to a local farmer or the wise old man in the pub, but it was an inferior product, probably cut with a whole lot of confirmation bias and assumption. So, you know, you take current affairs seriously if you have to walk to them. But news and stuff is one thing. There's no way mad Reg in the pub could tap the side of his nose wisely and fill you in on who had been announced to direct Ark of Infinity. There was no country sage with a beeline to the Doctor Who production office. So, when I saw the magazine, I pounced. I remember escaping a beach somewhere... Netley in Southampton, where my great-aunts and uncles lived, I think. I remember a huge dead plate-like jellyfish on the beach. Perfect. 
by a tiny chunk I assumed had been sliced by an outboard motor. Peach ice cream, which I've not had before or since. Having a tantrum. Oh, that word still makes me feel sick to my stomach. A tantrum. Not because I was bad or nasty or difficult, I don't think so, but because I felt some terrible injustice had occurred, and instead of reacting calmly to it as I knew I should, I felt it sweeping me away, getting me further into trouble. So then, I wasn't just upset with them, I was upset with me. But I was committed now, even though I knew it wasn't helping, all this shouting. I do that now, dig in, even though I know I'm at least partly to blame for what's going on. But admitting your complicity in a fault is harder than lashing out. And there on the beach when I'm six or so, it's also because, well, I know the bits that are my fault to be the bits that are going to get focused on and, and uh, instead of the main injustices, the reasons I was upset in the first place, and those will not get addressed, which is actually my fault. But even though it started with something that wasn't my fault, oh, it's hard being six. No wonder I crave time on my own in a strange shop scouring the magazine shelves for anything about a programme that takes me far, far and further away. Anyone in any doubt about whether the things that happened to us in our childhood have any impact upon us in later life, uh, be in no doubt, 40 years later, this half-remembered incident still makes me feel physically sick. I've had intimate relations with people whose names I can't remember, but shame and embarrassment... They etch themselves deeply. And so the tears flow and the tears burn, fizzing on the hot plate of embarrassment that my cheeks have become. I see a great aunt who'd previously, I think, thought of me as a nice young man. That's all I want, really. Someone to think I'm a nice young man. Still do, though I know the young is now just a pipe dream. I see the disappointment in her eyes as I weep and curse. Oh, the swearing did me no favours made me look like the bad guy in a situation now out of control. I'm sure I was punished, denied an ice cream or forbidden to go to the newsagent. I don't remember. Interesting. I do remember the shame, though, the embarrassment, the bits that were my fault. And nowadays, when we say something wrong and somebody points it out, well, we just block them on Twitter. Then I had to ride it out. Now, I don't want to be Mr. It-never-did-me-any-harm, the sort of thing usually said by someone who tortures children and hates the poor because Daddy locked him under the stairs with Uncle Desmond. And, in fact, a lot of things that happened to me in my childhood, some minor and trivial by any standard, some not so, but none illegal or anything, have, I think, probably scarred me quite a lot. But, and I hate to be Mr Eat Your Bread Crusts because they're good for you, but I think there's something to be said for sitting in something uncomfortable. It teaches us to cope with things we don't like. Similarly, there's something to be said for having to sift through the detritus of life to find the shiny thing that lights it up. If Doctor Who magazine had just plopped onto my doorstep every month like it does now, it would have just been pretty normal pretty quickly. I'd have acclimatised to it and probably taken it for granted. Instead, finding a shop on a holiday when I was sad, it provided a safe and exciting refuge. A place where I could have fun, alone. And I remember that newsagent. Not what it looked like or the size of it, but how it felt. The atmosphere of it. Some of the unusual sweets that we didn't get at home. The smell of my own damp togs and the green odour of the sea. The dry sand salt-baking the bits between my toes. 
and this news agent didn't even have a Doctor Who magazine. It did have some American thing. I can't remember now. It wasn't Starburst, the other publication that occasionally had Doctor Who content on the cover. But this one, whatever it was, had articles about all sorts of different programmes. But clearly one of its regular features was a Doctor Who episode guide. And this one had got to Revenge of the Cybermen. It gave the cast list. Now, I'd loved the name Ian Martyr on the side of the Target books that I had at home. Ian was a cool name, probably the name of someone with a moustache or a roll-neck jumper. You know, that cool. Martyr sounded like martyr, a word associated with death, so it had a certain hip adult vibe about it. Ian Martyr also wrote the grittiest Target novels, full of viscera and squelching and people's bits exploding. I also liked the name Harry, one of the Doctor's companions my brother had talked about and who I then found in the books. Harry Sullivan. He sounded cool and tough and grown up. Imagine my surprise, and yet it somehow all fitted and made perfect sense when I looked through this cast list and it said, Harry Sullivan, Ian Martyr. It was only when I was older and could discern character that Harry turned out to be not so tough and gritty, but more actually a jolly and cheerful cove. But at the time, he was tough and he wasn't the only one. Oh yeah, I wasn't attracted to Doctor Who because it's camp and frothy like some people say it is now. I liked it because it was exciting and Doctor Who was helped out by tough guys with names like Mike and Harry and Ian. They wouldn't cry if they got into trouble. The cast list for Revenge of the Cybermen, it didn't just have that amazing Ian Martyr revelation. It also had other names. Lester, William Marlowe. Oh, I'd remember that. I liked Lester. He was tough and brave and blew himself up to kill a Cyberman. Commander Stevenson, Ronald Lee Hunt. I'd remember these names. A few years later, watching TV, The Gentle Touch was on, and William Marlowe got second billing. His freeze-framed face, pockmarked and tough as a well-cast Lester should be, filmed through broken glass, because that's what The Gentle Touch was, a tough show in which glass got broken and people said bugger. You'll fall flat on your fanny, said Michael Graham Cox to Jill Gascoigne in one episode. Yeah, that's how grown up it was. If these recollections seem as fragmented as the broken glass that tough-talking coppers looked through, then there's a reason. That's how Doctor Who was in our lives back then. And those fragments made up a fractured but compelling mosaic. An episode guide in a non-Doctor Who magazine in a kind of shop I didn't usually have access to. An actor getting prominence in a TV series I got to watch because I was only home one night a week and so was allowed to stay up and see adult programmes and everything. These were all tiny little portals that allowed a glimpse at Doctor Who which, when it wasn't on telly, right now, wasn't there. You had to conjure it, seek it out. Watch something with a link to it, however tenuous. Those tenuous connections counted as a fix. I was always scouting about for a fix. Sometimes I'd switch on the TV of an afternoon just in case they'd decided to show a repeat. I'd often arrive upon a thing called the Cedar Tree. I've looked that up recently and it was an ITV programme. I was looking on the wrong channel, but you never knew because sometimes programmes showed clips. I'd take a clip. 
Had I known about the cedar tree, I'd have probably been excited enough that it had the White Guardian and Vivian Fay in it, but I didn't know. Mostly, I didn't even get a clip when I was looking, but that wasn't enough to put me off. I think I did accidentally stumble upon a repeat of The Awakening once, but uh, I must have been disappointed several thousand times before and after that. There's gold in them there hills, and you sift and you sift and you sift, even if it's only for a fifty-minute nugget of a story you saw only relatively recently. I remember one holidays managing to buy a Doctor Who magazine. Precious. I didn't realise it was a special. Well, anything was special if it meant it was mine. But it was pricey. It basically cost all my money. Inside was an interview with each of the producers of Doctor Who. Gold dust now. In-depth chats to every single person at the helm of the show. But for me, then, it was a bit like going to a birthday party of a kid with very middle-class parents who'd laid on hummus and brown bread and olives. Oh, yeah, my introduction to olives was at one such do. Thinking them grapes in a bowl, a haven of sweet treats amidst a table of worthy, hard-going stuff that looked like it was made out of brambles when what you were hoping for was white bread sandwiches, crisps and cake. It was a birthday party. Anyway, I popped one of these grapes into my mouth and I had an unpleasant, salty surprise. I didn't appreciate olives for many years. Similarly, I had a bash at the Doctor Who summer special that I'd spent all my hard-earned cash on, but it was mostly indigestible to my young palate. Uh, I wanted cast lists and pictures of monsters and stories. I didn't really know what these people were talking about. I didn't really know what a producer was. I remember Derek Sherwin saying, we lost an episode of The Dominators, but yet I knew The Dominators was one of the few existing Troughton stories. I didn't realise he meant it was trimmed from six episodes to five. I, I hadn't got my brain around such colloquialisms or the nitty-gritty of production. He also said bloody. Was that Peter Bryant who said bloody? Somebody said bloody. I remember John Wiles looking like a startled owl. Yeah, lots of the pictures there were of the producers or of things that they had done, not of Doctor Who. Why have a shot of the flame trees of Theca, whatever that was, and not the censorites? No, I didn't appreciate that Doctor Who summer special for many years. And by then, I had to get another copy because I'd chopped mine up for pictures. <clears throat> anyway, I tried. I had the odd other copy lying around, acquired over the years, perhaps by a brother. One of the joys of living in an old house full of books and spare time was perusing the shelves and happening upon magic. The Doctor Who monster book was in one of the high up shelves in the study, but I'd forget exactly where. Sometimes I'd think it had vanished, and then after a dogged search and a bit of luck, there it would be. The Silver Jubilee edition of the Radio Times, the only Radio Times we ever had, was also in that row of shelves. That was an occasional gold mine for cast list perusals. An episode of Survivors, which I'd vaguely heard of, with John Abeneri listed as a regular, and William Dysart high up too. It's an Ambassadors of Death reunion, for goodness sake. And I remember that book. The Doctor Who Monster Book. What a simple title. 
yet enough to sound like the most exciting thing in the whole universe. It had been augmented, though. Eckersley from the monster of Peladon had had a moustache had added to him by my brother. Not unusual, that. We had quite a lot of books upon which targets had been drawn or facial hair graffitoed. I still can never quite get used to Donald G in the Monster of Peladon without a moustache, even though he never actually had one. And I knew he was Donald G, by the way, because, joy, the actors were listed in the back and he was the only non-regular actor to get a name check so I could work out who he was. One for the memory banks. One Doctor Who magazine had a Doctor Who archives with Mission to the Unknown and it had pictures of lots of crazy-looking monsters. I didn't know what it was. What, what, what was it supposed to be? No mention of the Doctor in the plot line, so, well, surely this couldn't be an episode. But yet there were photos. What was this? No idea. It, it didn't read like it was an episode of Doctor Who. The Doctor wasn't in it. But the Daleks were. And there were photos, so it definitely happened. But, but, no, no idea. And I thought I knew a lot about Doctor Who. It was clearly... A lot still to discover. But as Ian Martyr had proved, discovery could be really exciting. But what magazines we had and the Doctor Who monster book got tidied away, or in the case of the newsagent, the magazines were only temporary havens. So everything I read had to be committed to memory. I had to spend the day where my nan sold wool at a shop in Newbury. Uh, claim to fame, she used to give free wool to the Greenham Common women. We actually have a piece of the Greenham Common fence somewhere, adorned with hanging wool and a note of thanks from the women who were protesting against the airbase there, who were treated in such a beastly way by a lot of the local emporiums. Not by my nan, though. I myself didn't fare much better than the Greenham women at the local newsagent, they had two Doctor Who paperbacks. One was Inferno, not sure what the other one was. I kept going to this shop to look at whatever they had and, and the lady got wind of my presence and told me I had to buy something or go. I couldn't afford them, but I still felt the need to go in and connect with them. So I was shy in shops, and fair enough. Even then I felt that if one didn't buy something, one shouldn't really read it at all. So I'd only skim things. I knew whatever I was doing was just a quick hit, not a proper dose. So whilst I envy newer fans who have so much of Doctor Who's rich history to discover, I'm not jealous of the fact that everything they need is at their fingertips. There was nowhere to get a full list of stories, no access to release schedules. So much was done on chance, so much offered tantalising hints at what the full story of Doctor Who was but it was a massive, unwieldy mythology, and one didn't even know if anybody knew it all. And today, you don't even need a newsagent. The information you need gets to you quicker than it gets to them. Anyone today presented with a synopsis and pictures of Mission to the Unknown can whack the words into Google and very quickly will be told everything about it. For starters, why there aren't any pictures of the Doctor he's not in it, and all the wonderful, puzzling, brilliant and unique details about this one episode enigma that served as a trailer for a forthcoming 12-part Dalek epic, which filled a gap in the production schedule dating back to a year earlier and the truncation of Planet of Giants. Who was in it? 
who those aliens were and what they were called. Well, actually, no, not the latter. We still aren't certain of that. But aren't these mysteries, these things we still need to find out for sure? Aren't they what keeps us alive? What draws us back in time again and again to sift and sift and sift? I remember the thrill of occasionally finding an old issue of Doctor Who magazine or being given one someone had dug out. Friends at school and family friends were always on the lookout. My obsession was well known and I think kindly indulged. I used to love the episode guide because it gave the names of the actors and it was always great when there were pictures. But I generally only understood about 50% of the words. I was still very, very young. I was staring at these magazines and their unfamiliar words like a magic eye puzzle, hoping that one day it would all make sense. Now those days are gone, though, and whilst I was never that self-assured, I know a lot more now than I did then. But any knowledge I have acquired about Doctor Who came through painstaking archaeology, grabbing the info where I could from opportunistic passings through shops, lucky breaks on a bookshelf, or saving up what little money came my way and blowing it on a publication. Oh, I remember a Starburst, uh, the magazine formerly known as Opal Fruits, staring back at me from a newsagent I went by a lot of the time by the time I'd got to secondary school. It had a great picture from the second Dalek story on it, so one day, instead of spending the money I had saved on a can of Coke and a tangle twister, as was my want, I pulled the magazine off the shelf. I'd not been able to flick through it, once bitten at a Newbury newsagent's, twice shy. Foolishly, though, I'd read the issue number as the price, and it was actually twice as expensive as I'd thought. But, again, too shy to say anything, I patted my pockets and added my dinner money to my treats cash and had just enough. The magazine, of course, had about three pages on Doctor Who, an interview with Ray Cusick, the designer, and loads of fascinating pictures from that first Dalek story. But the rest of the magazine articles about books and films and things I'd never seen, may as well have been a recipe for Welk Custard written in Swahili. Starburst, it seemed to me, was for cool people who knew about all sorts of things that weren't Doctor Who. Films! My God, we didn't even have a cinema, you know. I know. Where did I live? 1843? But it's true, there was no cinema in Ludlow. So there were mistakes and disappointments, but in a way, they made the victories the discoveries, the lucky happenstance at a car boot sale or the gift of a stash of old Doctor Who magazines from a friend of a friend, they made the taste of those victories all the more sweet. Today, we want to know everything. We're all guilty of this. We sniff around the net to find out the latest info. We're desperate for details of the latest series, the latest DVD release, the latest book. Hell, when Doctor Who came back, there was one point when the making of behind-the-scenes programme was longer than the episode that it covered. And even if we don't want to know something, then we're told it, sometimes in too much detail. There's always somebody on hand to tell you that they know something that you don't. Oh yeah, the appetite for being that guy. I'm hearing rumours, says someone sagely, meaning they've read a thing on a thing, but then basks in the glory of being the one to pass out the info. Being the first to find something, or better still, being the first to tell everyone, seems to be the most important thing today. To be ahead of the crowd. Nowadays, we all want to be the news agent. <laughs>
thank you for listening to this edition of Indefinable Magic, Scouring the Shelves. It was written and performed by me, Toby Haydock. Doctor Who magazine can still be found on the high street, but you can also order it in this new place called the Internet. You can't browse it there, though. The Gentle Touch is available on DVD from Network, and Donald G still, to my knowledge, does not have a moustache. The music for Indefinable Magic has been specially composed by Dominic Glynn. Next episode, Seeing in the Dark. If you like these podcasts and don't want me to die of starvation or be evicted from my home, you can always sponsor a poor artist by going to my Patreon page, Patreon forward slash Toby Haydoke, or a coffee page, Kofi, K-O-F-I. I don't know how to pronounce it. That's if you don't fancy the monthly model of Patreon. But if you do want to do that one, there are different tiers that allow you access to other special things, although largely it's a pay-what-you-can-slash-want model, and you won't be denied anything too special if you haven't got much money, because that's not my style. Don't forget to subscribe to the official Toby Haydock YouTube channel. I mean, sort of, by official, I mean the, the, the only one, but don't forget to subscribe.